Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR, your host, David Gill here. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week. As always, I certainly am. Today we are talking about tech. I realize I haven't done a, uh, I guess, tech talk type of episode in like over six months. I think the last one was June of 2018, I believe. So I uh, I think June, maybe. Anyways, I uh, it's been a while, so I wanted to do a little uh, tech talk episode, kind of give an update uh, CES just recently happened, so I thought it was good a good time to do a general update on tech, some of my thoughts on certain technologies, what are the timelines on some of the tech that we've been hearing about for a while, and just, you know, generally chat about some things. Real quick, before we get into it, I wanted to mention again, I mentioned this a few episodes ago, but I want to mention again, uh, we are now available on Spotify. So if you enjoy listening to podcasts on Spotify over iTunes or Google Play or SoundCloud or wherever you normally listen, we are now available there for your listening pleasure. So just wanted to mention that again because I know that not everybody listens to every single episode we upload, even though you definitely should. And I'm very disappointed with you if you don't, but I understand that not all of you do. So I wanted to mention, if you didn't listen to the episode a couple weeks ago when I mentioned that we're available on Spotify, we are, so you can if you want to listen on there. Anyways, let's have a little tech talk, everybody. Let's get into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. Let's start off by talking about smart home. This is a very wide topic it's very broad but it's one of the main tech sectors i guess you could say that uh occupied ces so i wanted to spend some time on it so smart home is very interesting to say the least so my my main question with smart home is that if you want a full smart home how do you do it? So if I, I tomorrow or I today decided, all right, I'm going to deck out my entire house with everything smart. I'm going to do smart locks, obviously an alarm system, cameras, uh, smart ovens and fridges and just everything, smart everything, right? How would I do it? What system would I use? Uh, is there any one company, you're at Smart Lights, I forgot to mention that. If I, Is there any one company that I could use? Is there any one integrated all-in-one thing and the answer is no not even close really and i you know a a couple years ago i and a lot of other people thought why doesn't say apple uh go ahead because they have an opportunity to make a fully integrated smart home system right that could be their next big play why don't they make all of the products so that you can go to Apple and just buy everything from them if you want to uh, have a full smart home integrated. And the question was, did they miss an opportunity by not doing that? Or were they actually smart in not doing so? And at first, you know, if you kind of look at the 
surface level of it, you say, oh, well, they should have done it. It's a great business opportunity. Lots of people want a smart home, and there's no way to really have a fully integrated system uh, that's really simple and easy to use, which is kind of Apple's MO. But if you dig a little deeper and you really think about it, it doesn't make sense for a company like Apple or any company for that matter to make a fully integrated system where they are making all of the products. Because if you think about it, smart home starts with smart lights and smart door locks and a camera system and security system, whatever. But it expands over time and down the road, say five years from now, Almost everything in your home could be smart. Your toaster could be smart. Again, your fridges, your ovens, your coffee maker, your bed could uh, be smart and adjust the stiffness at night depending on how you're sleeping or change the temperature of the surface of the bed based on your body temperature, all types of stuff, smart toilets, whatever. And maybe some of that won't happen and maybe some of it will, but it's kind of impossible to predict all of the smart features of products that could potentially come out. And the question is, is any one company going to be able to make all of those products? No, probably not. And it just wouldn't be possible because even if Apple could make a smart bed and a smart toaster and all those things, they're not likely going to be the best at anything right they're not going to be the best or i should say the best at everything it's very very difficult to be the best mattress maker while being the best toaster maker while being the best fridge maker while being the best phone maker while being the best door lock maker right it's very difficult to be the best at all those things so i think the real answer is you need all the people who are the best at making their products to integrate into some system some third-party system and that's kind of what we're seeing and that is the logical approach now which third-party system that will be and we'll get to that in a second uh, is another major question if you look at Apple uh, compared to Samsung say Apple really hasn't gotten too much in to smart home they have home kit but that really hasn't taken off very much because it has a lot of very strict rules that uh, people who uh, manufacturers have to follow to be in HomeKit. And because of that, very, very few have followed those rules. Samsung, on the other hand, did try a little bit to take the approach that I was saying, where they're just going to make all the products themselves. But I don't think that's really worked out for them. It's it's very difficult, again, to compete with, say, Ring doorbells and uh, Arlo security cameras or Logitech security cameras and LG and with uh, ovens and fridges and you know basically it's hard to compete on all of those fronts which is what they were trying to do and I don't think that, and I think they're going to pivot their strategy away from that at this point and so the main question is what will be the main UI the main user interface for the average person's smart home and it's more and more looking like the answer is going to be Alexa or Google Assistant. But is that enough? So, you know, we've kind of decided, or at least many people in tech and smart home have decided that voice will be the interface for the smart home. 
and in a way that makes sense because we're kind of moving more and more towards voice and it's kind of very easy to use and it's very natural for anyone in the home to use it from grandma to the little kid but is voice good enough at this point to be the main ui for anything and to me the answer is no and i'm a big proponent of voice i think voice has a lot of potential but right now alexa and google assistant are just not advanced enough in their nlp the natural language processing uh to really understand everything that you say to it and it's not just basic commands it's for a smart home you're going to need more advanced commands you're going to need to be able to say something like Alexa, turn on my toaster and turn on my oven to preheat to 350 and set the temperature in the home to 75 degrees. Oh, and turn my TV on to uh, this Amazon Prime show or whatever, right? That's the type of thing that you need to be able to tell Alexa and that you cannot do. And same thing with Google Assistant that you cannot do yet. It's not going to be able to do all of those things in one command going to get overloaded if it even understands everything that you said which it still is not necessarily 100% understanding what people say so we're still a little far away on that front and the other thing is that right now smart homes if you were to buy a bunch of uh, different devices and then try to integrate them all through Alexa or Google Assistant you have to set up scripts essentially uh, for these things to work, you know, if then sequences. And listen, I'm a tech guy and I'm very uh, willing to put up with a lot of hassle to get things working the way I want to. But even I am not excited about, you know, sitting down for half an hour and trying to set up a bunch of scripts for a smart home. And I'm positive that. The far, far majority of the population either A, won't even really understand how to do that, or B, definitely will not want to do that. You don't want to buy a bunch of devices and then have uh, you know hours of homework essentially to do once you get them. You want to set things up and just have them work and work really well. And this is kind of where machine learning uh, AI comes in because for smart homes to work really well, it needs to be able to... Uh, adjust based on your behaviors and the only way to do that right now like I said is through scripts but the ultimate way is through machine learning and you're gonna wanna have some type of system that understands your, your behaviors and what you like and don't like and then will start automating things in your house for you but we're still very far away from that and the other question is what system does that? Is that Alexa that tries to understand? But then Alexa isn't necessarily integrated in each device to the point where it can gather all of that data and, again, understand your behaviors. Or maybe they will start having that that level of deep integration. Or is it going to be an app interface on your phone? But then if that's the case then which app do you use, right? One of the problems with smart home right now is that if I get a quick set door lock, Philips Hue lights, uh, Logitech cameras, and all, you know, all these things, each one has its own individual app. There's very little cohesion in the smart home space right now. And listen, I understand it's, it's kind of a, everyone's competing, but at the same time, everyone kind of needs each other 
to work. The main challenge is to find a cohesive way to integrate everything into one user interface, whether that be through voice or through an app that is able to implement machine learning to understand people's behaviors and then automate processes based on those behaviors. Now, how far away is that is the question. Uh, that's really hard to tell. I think we are still, honestly, a few years away from that. You know, smart home has been promised for, what, 20 years now? I remember, uh, I think it was probably early 2000s, I think, was when this movie came out. It was, like, 15 years ago, but it was, like, this made-for-TV Disney movie. It was really bad, but it was about this, like family that installed a smart home and then the smart home you know turned evil and started like terrorizing them i mean it was like made for tv disney movies so it was not like anything scary but that was 15 years ago and we still don't have that we're not even close to having the level of automation and obviously i know it's a fictional movie but still you would think that 15 years later, we would have at least something close to an integrated smart home, and we really don't. So that's why I'm hesitant to say, like, oh, yeah, we're only 12 months away from full smart homes. I think we're going to continue to see more and more and more devices and more and more smart, uh, dumb objects becoming smart objects. But I still think we are at least another maybe... 18 months at the soonest, probably even longer, I would say even longer, uh, before we see a full integrated system that works well and is able to implement all the things that I was talking about. All right, let's move on from smart home, and I wanted to actually talk a little bit briefly about smart retail. I think 2019 is when we're going to start really seeing smart retail. Obviously, smart retail kind of started... Uh, with the self-checkout years ago, but that's very basic. It's not necessarily that smart. It's just, you know, you're able to check yourself out instead of having a cashier do it. But, you know, recently I was, uh, I live in Phoenix, so obviously we do not have any Amazon Go stores here. If you're not aware of what the Amazon Go stores are, it's the, it's the uh, stores where there's no cashiers, no checkout, nothing. You walk in, grab whatever you want and just leave the store and Amazon automatically charges your account. So uh, obviously we don't have any Amazon Go stores in Phoenix, but I was recently in San Francisco and uh, I wanted to try it out. And there's a Amazon Go store near uh, Union Square. So I really had to give it a shot. And I got to say, it was flawless, completely flawless. I went in there and uh, there was a guy at the door. I said, what do I have to do? And he said, just download the Amazon Go app. And then you just scan this uh, QR code. And obviously, you sign in with your Amazon account. And then you uh, scan this QR code. And then you're good to go. And you go inside. And you pick up whatever you want. You grab it. And then you just leave. And when you leave, about two minutes later, you're going to get a little notification on your phone with a receipt for what you bought. And I tested it out. I wanted to you know, test how good these sensors were. So I was picking stuff up, walking around with it, putting it back down grabbing other things, you know, doing all that type of stuff. And uh, it worked flawlessly. It didn't charge me for anything I didn't grab. And uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't walk out with anything for free either. And then the next day I went and uh, I actually brought a friend with me. And I had it basically to see how it works with two people because you can have two people in one account. So they had her uh, walk in front of me and then I scanned us both in. And then we both were picking stuff up, putting it down, trying it out. 
and we walked out and again it worked flawlessly so I was very impressed with the tech obviously they're not gonna roll it out in stores until they're very confident in it working but that experience definitely sold me on the idea of a cashierless store or having only you know a couple people a couple employees working uh, kind of monitoring things but really the cashiers are not necessary anymore definitely sold me on that it was very convenient very easy you know when I went to leave I just left I didn't have to go through a checkout aisle I didn't have to do any self-checkout none of that I just grabbed whatever food or drinks I wanted and go obviously it's called the Amazon go and so Amazon has said that they're going to build many of these um, I don't know exactly what their full expansion plans are nationwide but they said that they intend to essentially build them out nationwide it's unclear whether they're going to add the tech to whole food stores also but a lot of people think they will obviously it takes a lot to retrofit if i was looking at the uh, ceilings when i was at the store and it was just filled with sensors it was like these little uh black kind of modem looking things and it was just the entire ceiling was filled with them and it was just all sensors uh tracking what you're doing and so that worked in this kind of low ceiling convenience store type of place it was kind of a typical 7-eleven type of store but with amazon now retrofitting a massive whole food store with that is probably going to be very difficult i don't know exactly the costs of all of those of all the equipment necessarily I don't know what the installation costs are uh, obviously Amazon is gonna have to figure that out themselves but I think this is tech that once I experienced it and if you have a chance if you live in obviously San Francisco or Seattle you probably have already tried it if you haven't I would do it it's in your town uh, but if you live in a place without it I can tell you once you experience it, it there's really no going back and i don't mean that to say like hyper sound hyperbolic i just mean it in a way like it's clearly more convenient it's clearly a better option so i just don't think that it's possible that it doesn't happen i think it's just a matter of time i think it is inevitable that this tech gets rolled out nationwide and not just amazon because microsoft actually recently responded and they are working with kroger obviously one of the biggest grocers in america uh, to create smart shelves which means over the coming years you could see many kroger stores adopting this tech too and cutting back on labor and my hunch is knowing walmart and their desire to fight Amazon on every front, it would not surprise me in the slightest if they announced a similar tech of their own or if they had a partnership with maybe Microsoft also or some other company to develop a smart shelves, smart uh, checkout tech to compete with Amazon. I just really think that, especially in groceries where it's ultimately a price war, right? Why do you go to one grocery store or another? Obviously, there's the health food stores like Whole Foods, but most people don't go to health food stores for their everyday groceries, right? I'll go to Whole Foods or Sprouts or whatever occasionally if I want to buy some specific things from there. But for the most part, listen, I go to my local Fries or Safeway. Fries is a Kroger uh, chain, if you didn't know. but uh, And most people are the same. They go to their regular grocery chains because why? 
it's cheaper. It's just, that's just a matter of fact. And in a price war that is grocery stores where the margins are in the single digits, uh, I very much think that this tech will roll out because it's just cheaper than the labor. Okay, next up, I wanted to talk a little bit about the streaming wars and uh, specifically on one um, thing I've seen being said a lot recently, which is that now that there are so many streaming options and uh, with Netflix and Hulu and CBS All Access, I think is the one they have now, and uh, HBO, and then Time Warner's coming with another one in addition to HBO, and Disney's obviously coming with their one this year. So there's so many different streaming options out there at this point. And a lot of people are making the joke that, oh, it's almost like we're going to need cable bundles again because there's so many kind of spread out different options that it's going to be more expensive just to buy those all individually than it is if you bought like a cable bundle, which is true in a way. And this is actually getting into the bundling and unbundling effect or not just effect, but strategy that a lot of businesses use and this is something that uh Tren Griffin has talked about on his blog before and I'll link it in the uh podcast show notes but um this is a business phenomenon I guess you could say it's a strategy that companies use to bundle and unbundle because in the in the bundling like you're seeing now there's so many different spread out options that a company who's able to come in and offer all of them together at some form of discounted price in a convenient way is going to be able to uh, succeed, just like the cable bundles did back in the day. What Netflix and what other companies have done so far is unbundle, and that's their strategy, saying not everybody, say, cares about sports, and not everybody cares about getting a lifetime or getting all of these different channels that you get with cable, and so that there's this unbundling effect, and so companies who are able to offer just one specific niche out of the whole bundle, they're able to succeed because people who only care about that and don't care about all the other crap and don't want to pay for all the other stuff are just going to pay for that one niche. So that's the kind of effect that I'm talking about. And again, Trent Griffin has a really great lengthy article about this if you want to read more. But uh, I think one thing that people are missing in the difference now between cable bundles of the past and potential, I guess, streaming bundles that we might see in the future is the true scale of the internet for content. The reason why I don't think that streaming bundles will be necessary is because the scale of the internet allows it to allows content that serves very specific niches to be profitable because of two reasons. One, technology has gotten to the point where it's much cheaper to produce content than ever. And two, the distribution of that content is essentially free via the internet you know this show is a perfect example we talk about tech and business topics and there's a lot of people who uh, are interested in tech and business but not that many to where this it, it could warrant a nationally broadcasted show or internationally in this case because it's over the internet so anyone in the world to get in but we'll say nationally just for <clears throat> convenience sake you know, 20, 25 years ago, this show would have required 
uh, studio, tons of equipment, soundboards. I'd have to make deals and agreements with all types of radio stations to get nationally syndicated. It would be a huge deal. It would cost thousands of dollars. You'd need multiple people working. It'd be a big investment. Cost probably tens of thousands of dollars. Now, all you need is a microphone and a little bit of equipment, not even, it depends on how advanced you want to get, and some software. I mean, really, it does not take very much. And then we pay a small hosting fee for the distribution of the content to host the podcast. And that's it. It's very, very economical and cheap to produce. And on top of that, the distribution is national international for very very cheap that was not possible before and because of that because it's so cheap to produce this type of content whether it be a podcast and now you can produce professional looking uh, video whether it be just because cameras are much cheaper or even you could do it with a phone at this point you know all those things are much much cheaper to create and it's not only that though that's that's the one part but the other part is that there's so much scale of the internet that you can produce content for a certain niche and be profitable. And you can reach that niche because people who are interested in a certain subset of topics are going to seek out and find that content because that's what they're interested in. So I'll give you an example from myself. What are my interests? Obviously, I like business and tech on the professional side. And then my other interests, I would say, like, the two big ones that I have are, like, uh, basketball, so NBA. And then uh, I'm, a, I'm kind of a little bit of a movie buff, so I like uh, watching more uh, smaller movies that a lot of people don't necessarily watch. And I like watching uh, in-depth, like, review and behind, not necessarily behind-the-scenes videos, but, like, the videos that kind of really go in, in, in the depth of the filmmaking process. I like that stuff. So that's kind of the niche that I would fall under. And that's a very specific niche to me. There's probably not that many people who like tech and business strategy along with the NBA, along with being a movie buff. I'm sure there's other people out there like that, but that's kind of my niche. Now, the next person might be really into American football and be into tech as far as the consumer tech side and gadgets, but they don't care about the business side. And they really like, um, I don't know, uh, 90s TV shows, right? They're a big fan of uh, Friends. I don't know. Those are different niches. And now there's so much scale that there's enough people out there with my specific interests and uh, that person's specific interests that you can make content that's tailor-made for those people and actually be profitable. You don't have to create content for the lowest common denominator anymore like you used to. That has changed. That's what the scale of the internet has allowed for. And that's what I think people don't understand. So now in the future, and I, I think down the road, I can pay for specific content that has to do with business and tech, NBA content, and movie type content, and that's it. And anything else I don't want, I don't have to pay for. And I think that's where we're headed. So I think people who think that we're going to see streaming bundles are not truly understanding the scale of the internet. And I think that in the future, there's going to be so much content for so many niches that paying for massive amounts of content that you're never going to watch will be a thing of the past. All right. And the final topic that I wanted to discuss was 5G. Um, I don't have a whole lot to talk about as far as 5G goes other than 
it's coming. I think 2019 will be the first major rollout year. We're already seeing it being rolled out in many places. Um, and then 2020 will probably be the year that it really reaches scale. So I think we're still another year away before a ton of people are on 5G. But this year will be the first year that we see uh, a lot of companies start offering it and a lot of uh, people start using it. 5G has a lot of implications that I think uh, people kind of look over. I think we don't really know or can't predict everything that will be possible in a 5G world. And to kind of cover real quick exactly what 5G is, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily have a 100% clear definition. But basically, 5G is just wireless gigabit speeds for almost every device. And it allows its much faster speed per device. And that it also has a higher bandwidth so it can handle many more devices. So this is going to be necessary to bring it back to the beginning for a real smart home. If you want a smart home that has like 30 different devices connected, all uh, needing very fast speeds, you're going to need 5G. The other thing that 5G is going to bring is more competition to the ISP space, the internet service provider space, and it's going to mean lower monthly bills because it's cheaper to install 5G than it is any other form of internet. Uh, because instead of having to dig wiring underground to every single home, homes can use wireless modems instead of wired modems like most do now and connect to local hubs. And before you argue that, uh, you know, isn't wired faster than wireless, yes, right now but 5g is so much faster than current tech that it doesn't matter wireless 5g is faster than the wired version of almost every internet service that everyone has in their homes now but yeah 5g the main thing is that you know when you have almost unlimited i shouldn't say unlimited but uh many many more devices that you could connect at once at very high speeds much faster than now i think there's a lot of things that are possible that we can't really think about or we don't think about now because they're just not possible but once you have ubiquitous internet speeds i think that there's going to be a lot of applications that come up over the next few years that change a lot of things and so far verizon seems to be the leader i mean their new ceo was hired specifically because of his uh internet infrastructure background they're investing huge amounts of money in building out the infrastructure and they're already rolled out in houston la i think indianapolis and another city i forgot the, the fourth one uh, but they're gonna offer both 5g for phones and they're going to offer in-home internet plans that compete with traditional isps like comcast time warner cox whoever else uh, so you're going to have more options when it comes to your isps obviously competition and cheaper infrastructure it's going to cost probably a tenth or less to uh, set up 5g than it is right now uh compared to what we have right now which means a lot more many more companies are going to be able to enter the isp space than ever before because before it just cost had a lot of upfront costs to enter the space and now that those costs are much lower we're going to see a lot more competition which again like i said is going to mean your internet bill is going to go down while you're actually getting even better internet so that's really what i'm anticipating i think again in 2019 we will see a big rollout, but I don't think it will be uh, 
a full national scale in the U.S. I'm not sure about uh, international, how companies are doing internationally. But in the U.S., I think 2020 is when we'll start seeing the true scale of 5G and that we'll start seeing many applications of 5G that we didn't really anticipate. But 2019 will be the rollout year, the infrastructure year, I should say. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any feedback on this, you can always shoot me an email uh, or leave a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to, iTunes, Google Play, whatever. We really appreciate it. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about uh, all this tech, any of your thoughts. And uh, yeah, anything else. But thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye.